grateful pranams at the lotus feet of our omnipresent, omniscient Lord, Bhagwan Shri Satyasai Baba. Sairam to one and all, revered elders, brothers and sisters, my dear students, it is indeed a privilege and a pleasure on behalf of the alumni of Sri Satyasai Institute of Higher Learning to welcome all of you to the 55th session of Samarpan here at Brindavan this 28th day of November 2015. We are indeed doubly blessed that this occasion is coinciding with the celebration of the 90th year of the advent of our beloved Mother Sai. Today, we have with us a speaker of rare distinction, whom Swami himself had selected for the role of being an educator in his university. Dr. Ms. Suma Rao, Associate Professor, Department of Commerce, Anantapur campus of the Sri Satyasai Institute of Higher Learning. Dr. Suma Rao is the daughter of the illustrious professor U.S. Rao, who has been an integral part of the Prashantinlayam campus faculty of Sri Satisai Institute of Higher Learning since 1987. Suma joined Sri Satisai Junior College for Women, Anantpur, in 1985, soon after finishing her 10th standard in Bombay. She completed her BCom honors in 1990 from Sri Satisai Institute of Higher Learning and was awarded the prestigious all-rounder gold medal for overall excellence, which was bestowed by Bhagwan's divine hands. She did her Bachelor of Education degree from Swami's University and went on to complete her MCom and MED from the Annamalai University. In 1998, she was directed by Bhagwan personally to join as a lecturer in the Department of Commerce in Anathpur campus. In 2012, she received the prestigious Sai Krishna Award for the best teacher of the year chosen by students. She received her PhD in 2014 on the very women-centric topic, gender in management, exploring structure and agency in the work-life balance of Indian women executives. In addition to her outstanding academic career, I would like to share some personal details about Suma, drawing on my own shared memories of her as my classmate. We were classmates from 1985 to 1990, hence I have had the opportunity to know her really well. Suma is an excellent actor. I remember the enactment of plays by students for Swami when he used to visit Anantpur campus. Bhagwan never failed to bestow his loving words of appreciation on Suma for the roles that she had played. She also has a very creative bent of mind and she is given to expressing herself through art and poetry, even at the young age of 15 and 16. Everything she did was dedicated to Swami. Pictures of him for him, poems on him, for him. Bhagwan really does choose his gems carefully. Her artistic skills have been put to use aptly in the task of guiding the current girl students 
of Anandpur campus in various artworks, wall murals, etc., which can be seen presently in Anandpur campus and in the beautiful inspired large-scale floats and displays during the annual sports meets held in Puttaparthi. Such a multi-talented person. But her hallmark is that she is very unassuming and she is very loved. She is really loved by everyone around her. Her classmates, her teachers, her colleagues, last and most importantly, her students. I have talked to her students personally. They unanimously say that their Suma ma'am is one in a million because of her approachability. She can really sync with young minds and young people. She has superlative teaching ability and she has a total lack of anything artificial in her. 1985 onwards till 2015, Suma has spent all her time in Anantapur and Puttaparthi with Swami. A long 30 years, a blessing extraordinary indeed. Along with you, I am also eagerly anticipating her sharing a few of those precious experiences and interactions with divinity or, as she says, lessons learned at the lotus feet. Brothers and sisters, I call Dr. Sumarao to address us. My humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet, respected elders, dear brothers and sisters, and students, young and old. I thank the organizers of Samarpan for giving me this honor to speak to all of you. I also thank Sri Lata for those generous words of praise. Believe me, it's a uh, it stems from her sisterly regard more than fact. <laughs> I wanted, when I was told that I have to speak for Samarpan and I went down what you call as memory lane and started thinking of the various experiences that I had because my sisters told me that I must speak about experiences. To me, they are hackneyed in my own ears. But I started thinking and a pattern revealed itself to me and that is what I would like to share with you all. This is one quotation of Swami which I like very much and Swami says that when he started his institutions he wanted to achieve a purpose and the purpose is 
My sankalpa is to provide youth with an education which, while cultivating their intelligence, will also purify their impulses and emotions and equip them with physical and mental disciplines needed for drawing upon the springs of calmness and joy that lie in their own hearts. With the many experiences that you have with Swami in different settings, you know, some of jest, some of play, some which are very uh, somber and profound, and some of those experience when you think you're drowning and he's so supportive, in every experience he drives home a single truth all the time. You are Atman, yours, you are divine, go back to that, go back to that. Have your identity with your highest self. And I see that pattern in every learning. So though I had a very tumultuous journey, I would like to share some instances of it. But before that, Brindavan, when you come to it, it brings a lot of nostalgic memory. One of my happiest and best days was spent here as an ex-student doing the so-called security duty, though I don't see how anybody can provide security to Bhagwan. Bhagwan gives us all the security. <laughs> but we used to spend the whole day in a single concentration on him and that was the most enjoyable part of it. Also, Brindavan had an element of surprise. You have Darshan in Ramesh Hall and then you go back there and you can suddenly see Swami sometimes standing in the three lawns and there were these bonus Darshans which were spilt on us so generously. And there is some quality about this darshan which you cannot speak of. You had cloudy skies like today. And Swami will be standing there. It's almost like the air stands still with Him. You could hear the chirp of birds and a hush among all the students who are sitting around Him. And that sight of Swami is like homecoming to the soul. I remember on one occasion when we were having an interview in the Trai Brindavan interview room and Swami was sitting in the chair and he was in a trance, he was not there. His hands were held up in his usual pose and all of us sat around him in silence for minutes together. When I go back, that, that moment somehow stayed in my mind and I realized one fundamental truth that when you are in the presence of God, the mind stills, the senses indraw, the heart expands and that sensation is the first sensation of connection with your inner God. And that is why that particular moment has frozen in my memory. And it is, this is so, so fulfilling that again and again you want to come back to it. There are many poets who describe of beauty and how that brings them to this state. You know, whether we read poetry of Wordsworth and things. And he says, the scene that flashed upon the inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. Things like that. That means there is an inner beauty and God somehow brings you in contact with this. And that's where we make our first connection with God. I used to think students who come today, who don't get this opportunity to have this darshan of Swami the way we used to have it, how will they connect? And I received my answer from a young student. 
She was giving a prayer talk in Anantapur and she said in the course of her sharing of her experience, she described how she came to Swami. And I would like to repeat that story here. She said that she had never heard of Swami, never known of Swami. She accompanied a friend to Prashantanilyam to shop in the shopping complex. And after they finished their uh, shopping, they went to the Kulvant Hall and she sat there. She practically strolled into Kulvant Hall. And then when the bhajan was going on, she was admiring how beautifully everybody sings. Suddenly, she had an experience. She said tears began to flow down her eyes, her cheeks. And then she felt an extreme longing. And she said, I felt as if I finally came home. She said, I can't explain that experience to anybody, even to myself, but it was so powerful that I applied as soon as I got the chance to apply as a student. The connection is still made. Some of us who are uh, in Swami's fold and who are born with the atmosphere of Swami around us may wonder, why doesn't this happen to us? But the truth is, even if you're surrounded with the knowledge of Swami, there is one point of time when that connection is made. Somehow his institutions have been a place where these connections have been made. You ask primary school students, they will tell you that their connection of God was made there. So will the students of Anandpur, Brindavan and Prashantinilyam tell you of how God became real to them at some point of time in their life. Not just a photograph on the wall. But what happens when this happens to you? When God, connection with God is made, there's a slight alteration of perception. Things which were important lose their importance. And suddenly, everything begins to become different. You know, many people I meet, they tell me, you people are so blessed, you have made such great sacrifices, you have given your lives to God, and I always wonder, where is the sacrifice? If you choose something which is the best in your life, you're being downright selfish. Where is the sacrifice? The experience of God is so fulfilling, and if you choose that, it's common sense. It's not sacrifice. But slowly, when God becomes focal point, Commitment increases. I mean, we call this commitment, but actually it is just that God becomes the focal point. I remember my sister used to always explain this to her friends, that people go to God, uh, people pursue goals in life, and then they pray to God, please help me to get this seat, please help me for, you know, getting these marks or whatever. But when Swami becomes center, then life becomes an excuse to God. So now, how to live near Swami, how to do His work, so the whole focal point shifts. And that is where a certain degree of commitment comes. But after this, the hijack begins. I call this hijack because God begins the process of chiseling. And this is where I would like to share my experiences of the chisel of Bhagwan. The first thing I learned 
God gives opportunities but does not allow identification with them. When I was a young girl, as she introduced in 10th class, at that young age, I hope all kinds of misconceptions are forgiven. But at that point, I believed that I was Picasso in making. I believe that I am an artist par excellence and my future, my career, my dream lay in art. So I had made up my mind that after the tedious education till 10th standard, all I had to do was go to an art college and then my life will begin. For this, in those days, if you wanted to join JJ Arts in Bombay, you had to pass what is called an elementary art exam. So. In school, we used to have, we had an art teacher who was a very dedicated soul and took trouble to teach students extra hours of art. But you see, I was Picasso and Picasso doesn't need training. So I did not attend most of his classes and I got what I deserved. Out of the six papers in art, I failed in three gloriously. The result was my art career was gone. But still, I told myself, oh, I just didn't prepare, but actually I'm good. And my father thought it was time to cure me of many of my illusions, so he took me to meet the then vice-chancellor of JJ Arts, who was also a Swami's devotee. So I carried very proudly my whole portfolio of work and spread it in front of his expert eyes. He had a good look at them and he said, uh, you know, you'll never be a fine artist because you draw with your mind. And when you draw with so much of thought in it, you would rather go for a career in, say, advertising, commercial art or graphic art or textile designing. Forget pure art. So this was the second blow to my supreme ego. Then I had two choices. Come to Anantapur, go to Anantapur quietly or wash dishes. I decided Anantpur it would be. But still the dream hadn't gone. So I decided if I go for commerce, get a background in commerce and then go back to commercial art. So there I went. Though everybody told me I was better at arts, I joined commerce. And then came the final dash of my hopes. Swami called us for an interview and uh, I told him, Swami, I want to do fine arts in Bombay, in JJ Arts. And he looked at me and he said, no. If creator says no, it's a no. I understood that. With great difficulty, I accepted it. But as time passed, I folded that dream and forgot about it. But Swami is so kind. He doesn't give you something because if you make an identification with it, it's not good for you. But does that mean he doesn't give you opportunity? That's, that's, okay. yeah. that's not true. What happened was this. I had a whole career of art. <laughs> I had the opportunity to work with students who are very creative. You know, ex-students also. We used to work together for Messenger's Day and we had an opportunity of creating a lot of things. So the first thing we learn is why Swami doesn't allow certain things is because that particular identification may not be good for us. 
But that does not mean that Swami does not give you an opportunity. What you should do, He will let you do, always. This is an old biblical saying, Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all things will be added unto you. You know, young people always think, if I don't do this in JJ Arts or some big place, then I won't learn the skills which are necessary. If I come to Swami's college, there are some things I will learn, some things I don't learn, all kind of things like this. Now, long after I had finished my dream of arts and forgotten about it completely, I was an ex-student. And one day I walked home uh, from Darshan ground and uh, the same vice chancellor whom I had met years ago as a student was sitting in our drawing room. He had come to visit my parents. And uh, he didn't recognize me, of course. And when we were sitting, he was looking around and he saw a painting of mine on the wall. And he said, whoever drew this is a fine artist. He said that. The point I wanted to make was, not that I am a fine artist, but that if God decides to give you an ability, He can give it to you. You don't need any specific qualification for that. And it is important to remember that abilities are a gift of God. And it's not wise to build your identity on those abilities. But chiseling is not always pleasant. There are some which are very sharp and I would like to share a few of those with you. Even though we may think we are not good artists, somewhere the pride remains. A pride which has been nurtured over years will not die an easy death. And so Swami used sometimes a sharper set of tools to deal with it. Now this happened when we were, uh, we had become ex-students and for the first time uh, a few of us made huge art and this was meant for the Purnachandra Hall. It was a picture of Christ and Peter and Krishna and Arjuna. So we wanted to put it up on the blue velvet in the Purnachandra. So it was made in thermocol with a drawing, uh, with a felt, uh, you know, paint stroke on that which outlined these figures. We had made it and it, it came very beautifully. We were very happy with it. And unfortunately, I don't have a picture of that because in those days, the cameras were not as good as now. And Swami came to see it and he first looked at it and he said, our children did not make this. So, no, no, Swami, we only made it. Swami, we only made it. Then, no, 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 you can't make such good things, he said that. Then, no, no, Swami, we only made it. Then he came near and then he looked at me and said, I know you draw, he said that. And then he came closer and you know, Swami's eyes, when they go, it's like an x-ray vision. It went through the whole thing. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, the Christ's hand was uh, like this. And when you make a two-dimensional figure, the thumb is not drawn because it's coming behind the palm. So I drawn it like this. And he asked me, where is the thumb? I said, Swami, uh, it's behind, behind, like I meant to say in the original figure, it's behind. Swami went behind the thermocol and then he looked at it and he said, it's not there. 
then i told him swami two dimensional drawing swami so i couldn't put the thumb because it is uh, right at the back i had to draw it this way and swami shook his head and he said whenever you draw gods it is droham if you do not draw even a single part of any of the limbs whether it's the ear or the fingers or the palm you should draw everything and truth i don't know if you have noticed it but if you see any of the traditional pictures of the gods even if it is artificial they will show all the fingers all the organs of the lord they will not use logic like two dimension and three dimension then swami didn't leave it at that he asked me why is there a joint at that line in the middle of peter's face i said swami thermocol comes in pieces and i have joined it there then he said so much planning you can do you can't take care of that little detail he asked me i had no answer for this then he looked at it for a little longer and then he said why this krishna and arjuna are stamping each other's foot are they getting married he asked me and then i told him swami the two thermocol figures have no link and i had to keep them together so i brought them closer swami wrong he said then he looked at it and he said krishna's stomach was okay you chiseled it and made it narrower that is not correct he said he just blew me up for everything on that those two figures everybody became very subdued everybody left the christmas foreigners who were practicing came for their practice so we had to move out of the stage i sat there and had a good cry then i had to act so i picked up the thermocol figures a few of my friends were there we went right at the back of the purnachandra laid it there everybody sympathized with me and left and i decided i am going to rectify every error that i made so i sat back and started repairing each part i made the thumb i made the stomach okay i separated the figures i did everything that he had pointed out all the time crying swami came to the stage and he was watching the christmas play so he was just there i mean there in the sense quite distant from me the more i saw him the more i cried but i did it suddenly he started walking towards the back of the auditorium and you can imagine that distance from the stage he walked till the last end of the auditorium there was just me and my friend and all fevicol and you know all those things around us and he came and stood there and watched it and said better it was still not forgiven so i lost all my interest in it then we put it up and the curtains were closed we had a play that day swami did not open the curtains he came from the side and he walked in the center of the purnachandra on the evening and when he turned they opened the curtains for dramatic effect and the whole crowd gasped because nobody was expecting that there and i was just there on the aisle he looked at me and smiled that's when i relaxed but time and again he taught me one single lesson you are not the doer you are not the doer you are not the doer and believe me it's a very very hard lesson to learn <laughs> yet another experience uh, which i would like to share swami would not just correct 
small, there was nothing called small and big. Everything Swami would take care of. I remember I used to have this bad habit of banging doors when I was angry and he would come in my dream and say, stop banging doors. There is consciousness in the doors. And even when he came to Anantpur, he would walk and he would put his finger on the sill and then check his fingers to see if there is dirt. Small details like that were important. Whether it was cleanliness, putting the light off, putting the fan off, when you leave a room. All this he demonstrated and told. On one occasion, I had, you know, actually this kind of good habits everybody can teach you probably. Only God can see into your heart and mind and tell you what are the misconceptions over there. Now it so happened that I got into this phase of negative thinking. I used to think ill of many things. I used to blame people and you had this righteous pedestal on which you sat and blamed the entire world. And so it went on for quite some time. Till one day Swami decided it was time to prick it. Now all my holy thoughts, I used to put it down in a book of mine. And like all students, I had this good habit, bad habit of writing notes on one side and my notes on the other side. That is my own stories on the other side. And I had left this uh, book on a place where uh, we do yogasanas. And so there was something called the Panchavati which all the girls are very familiar with. <laughs> And I left this book there and we went for yogasanas and uh, we had a fence those days and a cow entered the campus and this cow was a hungry cow and my book was lying open and its pages were fluttering so invitingly it caught the eye of this cow and it made a beeline to that book. I don't know if cows make a beeline but this one did. And then it began to chomp on these papers. Now, for me, it was my poetry, so I ran and I did something which I could never imagine doing is to challenge a cow, but I pulled that book out of its mouth. Now, in that violence, half of the book went into the mouth of the cow. The remaining half came to me. And everybody peered onto my shoulder and they saw it was my notes and they said, so lucky your notes are saved. But I was feeling bad that my poetry is eaten by the cow. I mean, it's a sad demise. Today I have sympathy for the cow. <laughs> but after that, the story didn't end there. When we went to Prashantinilyam and I was sitting in the thing, I had a habit of giving everything to Swami, whatever happened to me, because I am the center of my drama. And when I was sitting there, Swami came and he was giving darshan, giving each girl a pen. I was busy trying to rack my brains on what had I written in those pages. I should at least recollect something and give it to Swami. And suddenly I looked up and Swami was standing in front of me. And when our eyes met, I said to him, Swami, the cow ate. And he looked at me and walked ahead and angrily turned back and he said, I saw. Now, I didn't dare ask him what he saw. It's obviously not the cow eating that, it was more than that. He saw into my heart, he saw what I was doing. That was my first warning, which I didn't pay attention to. <laughs> and then came the second one. 
This was when we all had come for the play, Mirdad and Srilata was also in it, Vidya was there in it. We all had come to act uh, in the men's campus. It was a vice chancellor's conference and Swami had come to Anantpur. He saw the play, he loved it, so he said, bring it to uh, Prashantanilyam and we were, we did the unheard thing of, we acted on the men's campus stage. And when we were doing this, um, there's a scene in that, you know, where Middad, the principal character, is taken away to jail by the uh, evil character in the play, and we are all crying. So in Anantapur, you know, the stage is a very firm one, the, the screen, so I used to have this habit of leaning on that, on that scene. Now I had forgotten that I'm in the men's campus and, and how the screen was not in my memory, so I kind of leaned on it and it gave away. So in order to prevent my fall, I pushed my ankle under it to regain my balance and sprained my leg in the bargain. But then I had to continue my skin. My leg was throbbing, swelling, and I had to drag it and finished my act. I did it quietly. It was the wrong time to tell anybody anything. It was over. And the next day, Swami was very pleased with the play and we were sitting and he went to Muni auntie and he was praising the play. And then he said, you know, this character, she leaned on that uh, thing and then he, she sprained her leg and she continued to act. Art, art should come from the heart. If it comes from outside, it's artificial and he was praising all this. And I knew in my heart, uh, it was not all that. Swami, if he's happy with you, it's a blessing, but we know what we are. And you see, I am an expert at self-recrimination, so I can't even think good of myself at that point of time. And then Swami started giving us namaskars, all the students. Everybody went and took namaskar, and I didn't go because of an inverted ego. I believed I was not worthy of a namaskar, so I wholly sat in my place. But these kind of stupid defenses that we keep with God, they don't last for even a few seconds. Swami looked at me and he asked me, Namaskaram Tiskunava. I said, yes, Swami. He said, eh, he said, no, Swami. Then he said, come here. So I went all around the crowd and reached him. And when I put my head on his feet, I cried. And I remember even now, I could feel the pressure of his fingers on my head when he was saying, calm down. And when I looked up, he said, what do you want? What is it? So I said, Swami, please give me purity of heart thought, word, deed. And then he looked at me and he said one important message which I would like to share with you. He said, Ahara and Vihara create thoughts. Those thoughts are not you. You are the Atman. You are not things which go past your mind. You are not things which you believe that you are. So, quietly, what Swami does is this. He chisels away a lot of wrong ideas that we cake on our being. He pulls them away slowly, layer by layer. So this was another important lesson that Swami taught me on the way. Then comes an even harder process. I think this is when you know the word, but living it is another cup of tea. You know. When you want to live God's word, it requires even more deeper attitudes. 
in when you're young the you know there's a lot of emotion and that's a pure age it's very easy to focus on god but sustain it is another story to keep that focus there's more learning to do and the next lesson which came to me is about this the whole journey is from an egoic identity to atman let's believe that and if that is so one of the things which happens is that since we are so rooted in our own self we think we choose but we don't really choose god chooses so there were two lessons which i learned one after the other same meaning i will share both with you on one occasion this was when i was still an ex student i had a dream and in which uh, there was an elderly devotee sitting opposite me and i was uh, sitting there too and swami was coming for darshan he met her and he said please uh, go somewhere he was telling her to go somewhere and she said no swami i i'm going to stay here only i can't leave you and something like that they had a conversation then he turned to me in the dream and he said see she is not listening to me so in my dream i told him swami if somebody wants to stay with you what is wrong in that she just doesn't want to leave you and he looked at me for some time in the dream and he said if you want to stay near god you must obey god he said that's it and then the dream vanished so i knew something was coming next day the next day swami called me to the veranda and for an interview and when i went in he said go to anantapur i was thinking i have to stay near him and he made it very clear if you want to stay near me you have to obey me this lesson of obedience was again told to me physically by swami that was again in brindavan itself we were in an interview and then swami for some reason he was very very happy and he said to me what do you want ask me i will give it to you it was like giving you a blank check i said swami i want bhakti so swami said why you want bhakti so i said swami all our life we have to choose between you and everything that is not you as if there is something which is not god but that point of time and therefore if you give me bhakti i'll make the right decisions and then swami looked at me and he said no so i said swami you tell me what to ask for and then swami said ask for obedience obedience is to live the word of god every day and this is a harder job than just jumping once in a while into that expansiveness it is to practice it each day skip harder thing but then there is some good news there is some inevitability in this whole journey now again i have two incidents to share here on one occasion a friend of mine had written a beautiful poem where she asked swami swami please uh, tell us whether we'll all live in a higher consciousness ever you know if you have a good look at yourself and look at god's standards you know the difference is so palpable and you wonder whether ever you'll bridge it so she had written this beautiful poem asking swami will we ever live 
the way you want us to live. And I was holding this poem and he came to me and he asked for it and he opened it and actually stood in front of me and read line by line. And he kept, I could see his eyes going from line to line. And then he looked at me and he said in Sanskrit, Sambhavatu Shigram. It will happen very soon. Another time when we were having an interview with the ex-students and uh, Swami was distributing piles to all of us and I said to Swami, Swami, let this tie us to your path. And he looked at me and he said, Aim path? So I said, Swami, Sai's path, we should walk that path. And Swami said, Ada, andaru nadustar. Everybody will walk this path. The thing is, if God comes down on earth and decides something, can anything happen otherwise? It's our fears and our things, but it's nothing to do with Him. All the more the reason we should uh, probably have stronger belief. Just yesterday I was talking to my father and I was telling him, how do we decide what is in our jurisdiction? You know, we always hear Swami say that if anything is happening around you, it is your duty to react. I mean, otherwise you are a party to that. So, how do we make out the difference? When we should act and when we should not act? And he told me one experience of his which I would like to share with you because it's pertinent for all ages and all times. Swami said to my father specifically that what falls in your jurisdiction and what comes in front of you, act. Leave the rest. Another question of similar kind, my father asked Swami, Swami, how do we distinguish between the voice of the conscience and our own mind? How do we know it's not something in us which is making us do something? And Swami said, if it is from the mind, they'll have multiple answers. It'll say this, it'll say that, it'll say this, it'll say that. But when it arises from the heart or from the conscience, it will have a single message. And that is how you can distinguish between your mind and your conscience. I'm sure when you start this, when we start this path, we'll have all these questions which come to our mind. And God always makes a way that the answer reaches you somehow, through somebody, somewhere, at some point of time. What to do in the present is always a question. Okay, agreed that the journey is assured. Agreed that we will reach. Agreed that we are not near it. But then what happens in the way? This is another experience I had. And I would like to share it with you. On one occasion, Swami, uh, I mean, this was a long period in my life and Swami kept on telling me, get married and all this kind of things. And I was quite hell-bent on staying single. And on one, uh, one interview, he asked me, why do you want to be single? So I said to him, Swami, without anything in my life, I find it very difficult to concentrate on you, Swami. Now, if I get into things, then probably I will not concentrate. And if I, you have brought me this close, you please take me that far. Then he shook his head and he said, wrong, wrong idea. He said, marriage is a situation. Marriage is only a situation. You make a decision what you want. Take responsibility for that. And he said, there are people who are married and extremely spiritual and there are people who are not married and may not be spiritual. So it's nothing to do 
with the situation. And he gave me an example. He said, look at Sakubai. Sakubai was full of devotion. And she was in the throes of married life. And then I said, Swami, where is Sakubai? Where am I, Swami? Because that was uppermost in my mind is me. Swami looked at me, irritated for some time, and he said, that's not the point. And then, he kept quiet after that, and I felt extreme defeat, because I could clearly see the truth he was pointing out to me. So I closed my eyes and I thought, Swami, whatever I am, good, bad, whatever worthy, unworthy, complete, incomplete, whatever it is, I am just giving it to you now. Now you do what you want with it. And I opened my eyes after this prayer and I saw outstretched in front of me his hand like this. For a moment I froze. Then I symbolically put my hands into his as if I am giving my life to him. And then he closed his clasp and pulled it towards himself, this hand. And then he looked at me and he said, Itche seva, which means, have you really given? I nodded. And then he said, never ask me the question, why? Now, did I do it? Plenty. But what does the question mean? We ask why because of our mind. We need to know why this, why that, why not me, why not that. It's actually an egoic identity. And he was telling me that the path of surrender begins with the destruction of that. I'm sorry, I'm a teacher, so there's always recaps of whatever we learned. <laughs> so, when I look at all the experiences, though they're random, I see a flow in them going from making an initial connection to slowly changing your perception Finally, the chiseling starts and the egoic identity gets hammered in bits and pieces. It's a long journey, but it's the most fruitful journey of life. This is one favorite quote of mine. Spirituality is not a belief, system or ideology. It is a surrender of one's ego to the infinite wisdom and knowledge that is the universe. So this long journey from our encased body-mind complex to that is actually the purpose which he has come and whether we like it or not, whether we are willing or not, he will take us through this long and beautiful journey. Thank you for your patient listening and I hope I have not bored you too much. <laughs> Thank you.